As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Liverpool set the standard, but Eddie Howe's mission is accomplished. History made 22,000 at St James's Park to see Newcastle's women. And share and share we like. A new deal for Fabian and another new face as the club eyes next season. Who writes this shit? <laughs> yes, this is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne and with me today, of course, uh, the Newcastle. The, the Newcastle. I can't even talk, Chris. It's been a long bank holiday weekend. The Athletics Newcastle correspondent Chris Woff and senior writer George Colgan. How are we doing, lads? Have we had a good bank holiday? Chris, are you well? I'm good, thank you. Yes, I was at the Newcastle game, the men's game on Saturday. Unfortunately, I could not go to the women's game because it was my sister's 40th, so I was across uh, in Centre Parks near Penrith. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, playing a bit, uh-huh. playing a bit, playing a bit of ping pong badly. Uh, have your lottery numbers come up, Chris? Well, oh my God. <laughs> the best bit about it was I didn't have to pay for any of it because uh, my family were there for the full weekend. I just went across for the day and managed to just scrounge off them. So yeah, just I snuck was, in. Uh, huh? You played a bit of whiff waft, did you? A bit of waff 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 waft. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Taylor? Have you had a nice bank holiday weekend? I have. It's been very busy. I've worked a bit, and I've uh, I've uh, kept myself uh, nice and busy, and I'm I'm feeling it now. Put it that way. I've got a slightly hoarse voice. But uh, George, how are you doing? Are you all right? Have you had a good weekend? Yes, I was also at the men's game on Saturday. I ran the Gateshead half marathon on Sunday, so I'm feeling a little bit sore. And then today, all action, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just all action. That's me. And then today, I've just seen my little brother AJ for the first time in two and a half years for pandemic related reasons. He lives in. Oregon in the States, and he's come across to see his dad, Gordon, my stepdad, who is the man that uh, first took me to St. James's Park, so I've just been up to see them, so that was very emotional. I'm hoping 
against hope that I might be able to get my brother down to Man City this weekend, but we'll see about that. But yeah, he's a big Newcastle fan and obviously doesn't get to see them very often. Brilliant stuff. Well, lads, if we are sitting comfortably, let's crack on. Come on, you Maggies. Yes, it's been quite a football weekend in Newcastle and we'll come to that Liverpool game shortly. But let's start uh, with the historic events at St James's Park on Sunday. NUFC women took on Anik, who had stepped in to replace Barnsley, and 22,134 fans filled the East Stand and the lower tiers of St James's Park. A magnificent atmosphere for this one and a fitting performance. Good afternoon and welcome to St James's Park. History is being made today. This is unbelievable. This is the first game Newcastle women have played at St James's Park. They've delayed the kickoff for a magnificent turnout. All the lower tiers and the middle tiers are full. The flags are waving just for this fixture. Newcastle United versus Annick Town here in the FA Women's National League Division 1 North. And here comes Casey Elson. Putting that ball in. Can we have an opening goal? Katie Barker, an offside flag. I don't think she was, though. It's in the penalty area, and the keeper does well, but has that gone in? Has it been counted? It has. Newcastle United at the Lees' end. Oh, 1 0 up. And Katie Barker is finally on the score sheet. The keeper came out and Barker made no mistake. Newcastle United won, Anik Town nil. What a goal and what a player to get it, man. 20th in the league, I think it's 27 or something overall, but class. Here they go. Oh, that's a uh, tackle. And is that going to be a that's penalty? A penalty? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, this is not normal. This- Brooke, it's Brooke yeah, Cochran, the captain. She just has announced taken that she's going to retire this year. Yes. So this is massive for her. She pulled ranks, didn't she? Yeah, she did, yeah. <laughs> Here she goes. Right footed. And yeah. into the bottom corner. I'm she happy. loved that. Yeah, the crowd loved it. Newcastle United 2. Anik nil. The second half is Georgia, oh, Georgia Gibson goes round on a run. Left foot into the corner. 3 0 at the Gallagher end. Georgia Gibson. What a great goal. Here come Newcastle United. Oh, that's a Just penalty. Play. Is there another penalty? It is, it this is. time at the Gallagher end. Now, who's going to take this oh, one? Look, we're going to be fighting over this. Well, the ref guy will get a chance. And here she is against Katie Stark. Right-footed. Saved. And can she get the rebound? She can. Yeah. But what, what, has, what has been given here? They're going to retake the penalty. Oh. And here is that penalty again. And this time, yeah, she made no mistake, rolled it into that bottom corner. And Beth Guy, on 61 minutes, goes to the corner, goes to the photographers to celebrate in front of the Gallagher end. It is Newcastle United 4, Attic Town 0. There is the full-time whistle. And you can hear by the cheer of the St. James's Park crowd, they've enjoyed it. They've enjoyed a 4-0 win. But... Whatever the score, a fantastic day, Michaela. Yeah, brilliant. Like, not one person, not even Annie, I think they've had a bad day. Like, this has been class. 
and hopefully many more. Absolutely remarkable turnout, lads, isn't it? That that is. There was some scenes. Amazing to see war flags and amazing to see the girls on the pitch. Uh, a record, the highest uh, in English women's leagues for attendance this uh, this season. Uh, the biggest women's Super League crowd, by the way, was twenty thousand four hundred and twenty-one for Man United. They've had to delay the kickoff, and the crowd was almost three times the predicted number. George, astonishing scenes and a brilliant day for the lasses. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant for them to be at the stadium for the first time in their history. An absolutely, you know, fantastic response uh, from the Newcastle public. One of the things I love about it is, you know, the fact that, the, you know, the fact that tickets were cheap. That'll be the first time that a lot of people will have gone to St. James's Park and they'll have, they'll have gone to see the women's team. And I just think that's, you know, I just think that's brilliant. For so long, they've been... Um, second-class citizens at the club. They've been an afterthought. They've been shunted away, and they had a moment of prominence. And the idea is that it's this is the first of of many. You know, it's the first of many appearances at St, at St. James's. Hopefully, but it's also part of that process of getting the women's team properly integrated into the club. Eventually, they'll share the same training ground as the men's team. They'll be part of it, and the idea, of course, is that they rise up their up the up the leagues. But what an absolutely fantastic showpiece that was for them! Absolutely, Chris. The, the, the lasses have had a fantastic year, haven't they? And I know they've missed out narrowly on on promotion, uh, but that has got to be uh, uh, up there as a highlight of a lot of those uh, those lasses' uh, careers so far. Uh, uh, an absolutely brilliant scene with. Uh, 22 plus thousand people at St James's Park for them. Oh yeah, and I mean, just as someone, this is I've played at St James's in like media matches. Even for me, in that sort of environment, it feels massive. But the, this is their this they, they are at the moment semi professionals. Hopefully, going to become professionals longer time. To be in that environment is completely different to playing somewhere else. When they usually play at Druid Park out near the airport, and you have a few hundred people there, and there, there aren't the sort of big stands, and you're not in that environment. You're not you haven't got the Gallagher in front of you. The history of the of the ground ground. I think it's it's wonderful for them all and also just picking up on the, on the point George made about the tickets I, I saw Bill Kakoran from the food bank on Friday and he was talking about how the club has, has was was trying to get in some people from who, who use the food bank and people from the West End and that they were this was before the game but that they were so excited to have the opportunity to go to St James's Park they would never usually certainly be able to afford to go to a men's game but but to even go into the stadium that was a huge moment for them so both for the team but also for the wider community and for getting people to see football in that environment to see that stadium I think it's just wonderful for both the players and the crowd Fantastic stuff. And did you see this, George? Prolific striker, Katie Barker, who delivered the, the historic first goal, uh, celebrating in familiar style. A little nod to Alan from work there. Uh, and she was understandably delighted uh, to be the first name on the score sheet. We can hear from her now. It is the best day of my life um, to score. Sheer our celebration. I think everybody dreams of that in Newcastle. So I'm just I'm so happy and so proud of all today. It was a really tight affair early on. Do you think your goal kind of set the nerves a little bit and let you go out and do what you did after that? Yeah, definitely calmed the nerves. Um, we knew we were capable of winning today, um, but we knew Anik would give her a tough game. So once we got that first goal, it just settled all down and we started playing some nice football. 
Lovely stuff. George, I mean, I've listened to a couple of the interviews from the lasses and they sound absolutely buzzing and who can blame them? Yeah, absolutely. Doing doing stuff that they'll, they'll all have dreamt of. Something that uh, many of us dreamt of and they've got to <laughs> they've got to do it. Really, really fantastic. Yeah, just so so thrilling to hear hear their voices sound so excited. And, you know, it's um it's a story that's gonna be really fascinating to follow and can't see what you know, can't wait to see what they can do. It's you know, it's another part of the club and it's something that you know, it's something that we should be proud of. And yeah, they get it's 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 very overdue recognition. It's very overdue prominence, but it's finally happening, and can't wait to see what they can do. The athletic women's football writer Charlotte Harper visited the training ground for a special report last week before jetting off to France to cover the women's champions league and truly going above and beyond. She joins us now from Orly Airport. Welcome to the show, Charlotte. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Thank you for your time. Um, it's fair to say that since the takeover, it's brought quite a revolutionary change throughout the club, and and the women's team's been no different. It, it, there's a sense that they're still a little bit shell shocked with everything that's happened. Yeah, definitely. I went down to the training ground on Tuesday and Becky Langley, the coach, just said, I'm so excited. No one even asked her a question. She was just beaming. <laughs> you know, this is life changing for those players. You know, it's a big, big deal for them. And under the Mike Ashley era, they just didn't receive any attention. So in the last six months, it has literally changed their lives, their routines and their football performance as well. Absolutely, and women's football in the northeast in general has needed a boost for a while, hasn't it? And Sunderland obviously were were quite harshly treated when they were left out of the uh, inaugural uh, women's super league. It's definitely a step in the right direction, and a, and a fantastic event uh, to see the, the the lasses playing at St James's Park in front of so many people as well. What a day! Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Um, I wasn't there at the game, but uh, Becky Langley said she'd be. You know, they were aiming for oh, ten thousand. You know, that would be amazing. Uh, and so the fact that they've doubled that and more, um, and you know, this is a, a fourth tier side, um, and it wasn't as if it was, you know, of course they were pushing for promotion, but it wasn't as if it was at stake. I was at the Champions League semi final, you know, that's when you're get behind your team because they could make the final. This is twenty two thousand plus supporting a league game. Um, against an opponent that they knew that they were going to beat. So, yeah, it's brilliant. When I interviewed uh, Amanda Staverley uh, a couple of months ago, she talked about wanting the women's team to compete with the men's team, to have a sort of a race up the table, to get some silverware. Can you put into context the challenge that the women's team face to get from where they are at the moment, which obviously, as you say, is the fourth, fourth tier, to get A, to get right up the divisions and then to win something? It's huge. And I think this is where, um, you know, you can say, oh, I'll run a marathon, but then actually running a marathon is uh, massive. I mean, A, they've got to get out of uh, the fourth tier, which isn't going to happen this season because Liverpool Feds uh, won on Sunday. So they get next year, if they get promoted, then within the third tier, even if they win that league, they then have to f- fight um, a playoff spot as well against the other Southern Division winner. So it's back-to-back promotions, um, which, you know, tick box, tick box, tick box, but it's so much easier said than done. And then Amanda Savely 
going for Champions League by 2027. Okay, you've got to finish in the top three of the WSL. Like, be ambitious, be bold, and that's brilliant. Um, but there's a hell of a, a lot of work to do. You mentioned the Champions League, Charlotte. You said you're across, you're actually in Orly Airport at the minute in Paris on the way back. You've you've been there covering that sort of game. I mean, what is the difference in sort of? Like, I know I know in terms of tiers of level, but Lyon obviously are in the final again. They've dominated women's f- football in Europe for, for quite a while now. What is the sort of gap just between the WSL and where Newcastle women's are now? Never mind the Champions League. It's a really good point. Just going back to Lyon, I mean, they came part of the club in two thousand and four. So 18 years ago. So that was the origin of their development and the evolution under Jean-Michel Olas, the, the owner of Lyon, who I spoke to. And he said it was a real kind of mentality change of the club. You know, that club was exclusively masculine. They weren't prepared to have a high-performing women's team. And it took years, not for the same kind of treatment in terms of strength and conditioning or training sessions or coaching but a mental switch that said you know we are putting as much investment in the women's team as the men's team not only financially but emotionally as well um going back to the wsl yeah it's it's the pace it's the strength it's the relentlessness of the season as well um and it's it's a huge gap between the WSL and the four side. But then again, for example, Ipswich Town, who played against West Ham in the FA Cup fifth round, they only lost to them 1-0. Um, Ipswich, a third-tier side compared to uh, a WSL side of West Ham. And Newcastle lost to Ipswich 1-0 in the round before, in the fourth round. So, you know, on paper, you can always say these things, but especially the FA Cup, that brings up spills. As I said, there's a gap. But with time and patience and commitment, I don't see uh, why Newcastle can't be there. Who knows <laughs> in what time frame. Well, thank you so much to Charlotte. Unfortunately, French airport Wi-Fi has been our undoing this time. And uh, it would have been great to discuss some more of the stuff in our article. Uh, but unfortunately, we're left with uh, just the three of us. Uh, chaps, um, one of the things Charlotte mentions in that fantastic article is it's kind of that awkward juxtaposition of investment coming in from Saudi Arabia, uh, a country where obviously women's rights are still severely limited. And while changes are happening there, it's the progress is very slow, isn't it, George? And it's, it's, a, it's one that we have to try and get our heads around. Yeah, and, you know, the other side of it is that, of course, that under Mike Ashley, the, the women's team was a was an afterthought. And um, the, the the players talk about having to play their own, pay their own subs, about taking their own kit to training, all that sort of stuff. That was with a English billionaire owner. And, um, you know, would the right thing to do for Newcastle just to carry on with the women's team being afterthought or should they invest in the team and of course I think most people would argue that they should invest that this is the right thing to do and you know something that should also point out is that Amanda Stabley has been talking about the women's team and investing in the women's team and bringing prominence to the women's team uh, before Saudi Arabia were one of her partners for the for the takeover so it's a very complicated discussion because you can argue that a set piece like Sunday at St James's, is sports washing. And, um, but at the same time, there are just levels of complexity to it. Like, as I say, a previous owner who showed very little interest in the team and the fact that this was something that Amanda Stavely has been talking about for, for years. Yeah, and I think it's like anything to do with the club since we've 
had the takeover, there, there are going to be these questions raised and, and understand that a lot of fans get very frustrated by them. But equally, I think, us, as we've said all along, for me personally, at least, I want to be aware of these issues and I want to at least consider them. I see exactly where George has come from there and I, I think Sunday was a wonderful occasion and to have the Newcastle women playing at St James's Park is brilliant. Hopefully there will be future occasions like that. That's certainly the intention. And if that is the case, then that means that, that, that a sport which is huge for men and women boys and girls in the northeast can grow and move forward but then also considering that yes there is an element of seemingly sports washing to this and as long as we're aware of that and it's aware of those issues going forward I think that's that's what's most important here but I certainly think that Sunday was a positive and I fully back it going forward and hope that Newcastle women can grow up the leagues play at St James's far more often and those crowds grow even further. And and I've I've you know I know that people at, right at the top of the of the club are saying you know they're again they're blown away by what happened yesterday, their 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 happiness for the women's team um, is genuine. They haven't just organised this game as a one-off. They've been visiting you know they've Murdad Mer has gone to women's women's matches. They've been doing that right from the start and. They're having detailed conversations about how they fund the women's team, about the women's team being professional uh, and having their own transfer budget and so so far and so forth. And also saying that this will happen more often. And that's exactly what I want from Newcastle. Absolutely. And as Charlotte alluded to before, Sunday's celebrations were slightly bittersweet, of course, weren't they? In that Liverpool feds had already clinched the league title and the sole promotion place. Uh, but with more of that investment that we're talking about, uh, Newcastle uh, women's team should be hot favourites to win the league uh, next term. A uh, final word on Sunday has to go to uh, head coach Becky Langley. Uh, her side have only lost two league games this season, which is astonishing. Uh, and she'll lead them with distinction uh, next season. I just can't thank the you know people of Newcastle enough for coming out and supporting the girls. Um, the occasion was absolutely fantastic. You could feel that energy and buzz. And when it kind of we were told you know extra 15 minutes till kickoff just to because there's 5,000 people still outside was just absolutely breathtaking. Amanda came down on the pitch with us and the girls after, and she was just saying, "Look, we're here to support you next season. Don't feel too disheartened about." finishing second in the league but look at the crowd and look at the passion we've brought to the women's team so we're just so so proud this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey. 
Okay, uh, let's rewind 24 hours to Saturday lunchtime then. Uh, Liverpool, probably the best club side in the world at the minute, aren't they, if we're being honest? Uh, but Eddie Howe's men went into this match with the second best record in the Premier League in 2022. Uh, but second best in the match as well, unfortunately, Chris, uh, going down 1 0 uh, to a goal from Keita. I'm a bit flat looking back at the, the, the match. It was not one where you could say Newcastle were poor. I think Newcastle gave a good account of themselves in terms of what they did off the ball once again. They unsettled Liverpool at times, but really, I mean, in attack, Eddie Howe addressed this after the match. They'd, they, they were clearly set up to counter-attack. Alan Saint-Maximan is the, is, the, is the sort of number nine through the middle. Chris Wood again left out of the side. Joe Linton left-sided forward. And Almiron as well. And Newcastle were trying to catch Liverpool with that high line. It was interesting. The first half, Liverpool di- maybe were a little bit deeper with the high line than usual. Kiva, our Liverpool reporter, was, was there saying that, that she expected Liverpool to play a little bit higher. And it just never really got going. Sam Maximan didn't really get enough of the ball in dangerous positions. Joe Linton didn't either. Same with Almiron. And Liverpool... Just always had Newcastle at arm's length. You got, you got, They could and should have scored more than just the one that they did. And actually, you always had the feeling that if they'd had to, this Liverpool side, which was much changed as well. I mean, they'd brought in a few players, a few very good players, but it wasn't that obviously Salah was on the bench and, and so was, was Thiago. If, if they'd had to, I think Liverpool could have stepped it up a couple of gears. And it's just, yeah, you just, you just saw how brilliant that side is they are just everything they do is at pace they're relentless there's an intensity there and they always pick the right pass and they always put you into trouble so yeah it would, for Newcastle to keep it at 1-0 in one sense given the way that the game panned out that in itself was it was it was a mini success story but really they never really threatened Liverpool's goal enough they are just really good at winning football games, George, aren't they? Liverpool, they're, they're, they're a great side and probably, like we said at the top, probably the, one of the best club sides in the world at the minute. I just think they're brilliant. I, I, you know, those words that Chris Chris used, relentless and intensity, remorseless as well. There was, I, it was, In fact, it was my job just for a bit of a change this weekend to write about Liverpool and write about Klopp, who obviously signed his contract. One of the phrases he, he came out with when he signed his new contract was, this fire will never stop. And it made me think about, I was sort of thinking about that as the game was going on. And it's like they're this sort of molten lava sort of just eating up territory. And there was a moment, I think there was a moment in the first half, maybe it was the second half, I can't remember, where they just push Newcastle back and back and back until the ball goes back to Dubravka and the fans cheer, their, their fans cheer and Klopp's on the touchline applauding. And you think to yourself, they've played 56 games this season. And I know that they were able to change their team around. And I know this is a Newcastle podcast as well. But, you know, <laughs> they've they played, they played 19 games more than Newcastle. And yes, they can, you know, they've got two brilliant teams, really. And they can make those changes. But even so, where do they get that energy from? You know, where does it come from? And no, just, you know, they're a very different side to Man City, who obviously they're vying with at the top of their top of the table in the Champions League as well but I just I, I don't know I think there's something about them that's it's 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 the way they fight it's the way they fight for everything there was this you know I know you're going to mention um, Milner and a bit Taylor but there was this moment it was absolutely irrelevant it's except that it happened right in front of the press box but it was in the first half and Milner who's 36 roared again at Sadio Mane as he pressed I can't remember which Newcastle player it was and it was for nothing. You know, it was like in the middle of the pitch. It didn't result in anything apart from Liverpool getting half a yard of territory. But it just summed them up. Um, 
just a really good, really good team. And as Chris said, I just, you know, they were, it was 1-0. And so therefore, the you know, Newcastle had a chance, but they were just relentless and they could have stepped it up if they needed to. They could have stepped it up. Absolutely. I mean, you felt like they could, if they wanted to, to change gear and, 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 and put Newcastle to bed, they could have done that at any time. It felt like Newcastle was solid at the back, Chris, uh, that, that unchanged back four, which has been there for a few games now. Um, but they just weren't able to exert any kind of control on the game, were they? And, and, and every time they tried to pass out or they tried to uh, have any kind of possession, it, it was just taken away from them by Liverpool. Yeah, and I'd spoken last week about the fact that Sam Maximan had come into the middle for after half an hour against Norwich. And I, I did I did ponder towards the end of the week. I said in a, in reply to a few comments in, in on the match day. Chris, uh, discussion Chris, going Chris, into the game. Chris, when you were pondering, what sound did you make? Hmm. Mm. I was stroking my chin. I was stroking mm. my chin. Good. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Just interesting. <laughs> what was I going to say there? Um, oh yes, I was. I was. And <laughs> basically, w- was Norwich to an extent, as well as resting Chris Wood, was it almost like a dress rehearsal of if we play without a striker, how will that work against Liverpool? Because it, at Anfield, he, he played Sam Maxman through the middle and rested Callum Wilson, and. I understood the logic behind it, but actually I thought that the Newcastle maybe lacked a bit of a focal point when Wood wasn't on the pitch. When he came on, that a bit more of that. And also, taking Joel Linton out of the midfield, I actually thought Newcastle looked stronger when he went back in there. I thought he, he won a few balls, he got, he got in the way a little bit, he was that nuisance that he could become. And Newcastle's midfield just I, th- I felt I thought got overrun a little bit. They were, they were certainly outpaced by, by Liverpool's midfield. And it, I thought that Klopp... Gave a bit of a nod to the way Newcastle play by the midfield that he selected. Yes, he was resting Thiago because he's played quite a few other games recently, but I thought he also put in there a bit of bite in the Liverpool midfield, a, a team who he knew were going to battle in Henderson and Milner, and and Newcastle didn't really cope with that. Once once that's what why they've been so good over the course of the last few months is they've frustrated the opposition, and Liverpool didn't really get dragged down to that level. They probably didn't hit the heights they quite wanted, but. That Diaz is, is, I mean, sign him in January to add to that front line. He just, he's, he's frightening. I mean, it's just he's not just, fair, is it? he just, the, the amount of times either side he was playing, he just burned craft and target when yeah. he had, he, 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 they had a 10 yard head start on him and he just burned past them. And that, that, that's someone they've added to the squad in January. That, that's, he's not even necessarily in their, in their first choice front three. That, that's, that's a level Newcastle are up against. And yeah, it just didn't read, they weren't really able to get any control at all. Imagine ML Craft woke up in the middle of the night last night, shaking and sweating, thinking that uh, <laughs> thinking that Diaz was behind him. Uh, yeah, uh, we we kind of hoped that Liverpool might have had tired legs after that Champions League game, uh, George. And and like we mentioned before, thirty-six-year-old James Milner coming into the side and returning to St James's Park as he uh, he was there as a young man many many moons ago uh, and one man in the match as well. And he just just keeps playing, doesn't he? he just keeps playing football. <laughs> what is he? He's a machine. It's, it's it's freakish. It is absolutely freakish. And when he came off, I'm pleased that sort of eventually he got a nice reception as he was coming off. And I think, you know, I, what a career he's had. It's it's incredible to think that he made his debut as a professional 20 years ago and that he was a, he was a teammate of Alan from work. So, you know, and he's old. Um, I should know because he's the same age as me. Um, well, and no, it's just, that, they were not our words, Alan. If you're listening, that was no, what George but, said. Uh, we, we but, think and, he, and he's 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 a phenomenon, and he's phenomenal. And um, to be the one pushing like the in the way that he was, yeah, just brilliant. And 
I think Klopp said afterwards when he was talking about Milner, he sort of said everything we've done, um, you know, that over the previous years, Milner's been absolutely part of it and um, sort of responsible for it. And you've got when you've got players like him and Jordan Henderson, who I know get stick for obvious reasons at St James's, you've got a chance just because the engine that they've both got is incredible. And to be able to keep driving forward when they've achieved what they've done, it's brilliant. It's brilliant to see. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think Newcastle were at their best, and I think they would have had to have been to get any kind of, you know, to have had any chance of having a positive result. I suppose the one thing I'm, I'm pleased about is that it wasn't a humiliation, and we've seen, you know, we've seen quite a few humiliations over the years, and the fact that we're kind of coming away with that slight sense of deflation about a 1-0 defeat to Liverpool, however one-sided it was, I do think is actually a positive sign. And there were moments when the atmosphere, again, was just great, particularly at the start. So um, Liverpool, you know, they're, they're, they're what you would aspire to be because they've, they've just got a bit of everything. Absolutely. I mean, we can't be too downbeat, can we, chaps? Newcastle have, have already exceeded expectations and the job was to survive. Uh, and they've they've pretty much done that with four games to spare. Um, Chris, we you wrote about uh, the turnaround that's happened uh, since the takeover, since Eddie Howe came in and across the new year. I sat and read that in bed the other day with a cup of tea and a slice of toast. And I have to say, it was a marvellous read. Well done, you. Uh, not that I'm going to sit here and blow smoke up you, but it was fantastic to read. Um, it's been an astonishing turnaround, hasn't it? I can't remember a club having a season of two halves like this ever. And I know it's a massive cliche, but that's exactly what it's been. It has, yeah. George and I worked on, on, on a big piece and actually it's sort of took us by surprise a little bit in terms of I was off about a fortnight ago and either side of that Newcastle managed to win both games and then they, that four game winning run which took them beyond the 40 point mark and so all of a sudden it was like rush rush to write this piece we, we were expecting <laughs> yeah. the Liverpool that was that was what was so nice in, in some ways about going into Saturday was there was no trepidation ahead of it in terms of Newcastle didn't have to get a positive result from the game as we thought they might have to a few weeks ago. They're not going to have to go to Burnley on the final day and get a positive result as we thought they were going to have to just a few weeks ago, certainly a few months ago. In December, they'd, by December they'd won once. That was their first win of the season. By the end, Before January the 22nd, they hadn't won a second time. And so within the piece, we look at what the new owners inherited, but also what Eddie Howe inherited. And to begin with, it was a bit slow burn under Eddie Howe in terms of results following the changes that he'd made. It it wasn't as if Newcastle suddenly had that quote-unquote new manager bounce. They didn't suddenly go and start winning lots of matches, but subtle changes, but important changes that he's made. Changes at the training ground, introducing something called an identity board into the into the uh, canteen, which basically is it's sort of like a, a fluid concept with Newcastle, a team which had no identity before. Now as, as a team and a club, the players are encouraged to come up with ideas to add to that, to what, what, what lessons they've learned in matches, lessons they've learned in training. Training has changed significantly, more intense, Players are given specific instructions. They know what they're doing when they go on the pitch, and every and and you can see that in the way that they play, the togetherness and and making sure that everyone is aligned. That was one of the key quotes that came out of the piece from from people in and around the club. 
the owners have been involved in that, but certainly Eddie Howe has driven that, and to, it eventually has brought those results, the astonishing results we've seen so far in 2022, and the piece tries to, to go through a, a lot of those, and, and looks at January, January was important, the January window was significant, Newcastle spent £92 million, but people elsewhere, the fans who just scoff and say, oh well, the reason they survived is because they spent all that money in January, they spent mm, all that money yeah. on players who... I mean, Chris Wood, they spent £25 million on. Nobody else would have spent £25 million on Chris Wood. Nobody else was really going for Chris Wood. And it may it may be that Newcastle fans turn around and say that was too much for Chris Wood, but he was what they needed at that moment. He was what they needed to go and get. You add him to Dan Byrne, Matt Target, later on Bruno Gimresh, uh, Kieran Trippier, who was only played four times. Yeah, that's amazing. But January was significant, but it wasn't the only reason Newcastle survived. There's still so many people, myself included, who thought maybe January has come too late. They won't be able to turn this around. Eddie Howe's improved players throughout the club. So many little changes here and there. And yeah, it's the turnaround has been astonishing from the first half of the season to, to the second half. And on top of that, they've done all of it without Callum Wilson, who is still their leading scorer with six goals, amazingly. And I would no, I was going to make the point that, that Chris did about January. It's a, it's all very when the history of this season is written. It's been you know it happens happens on Twitter all the time. Whenever you mention Newcastle, if you, when you write, it's simple ninety million quid in January. But you look at the money that Everton have spent in the last four, five, six years, and look at where they are in the table, and look at the tension that they were having to fight through at their game at the weekend. Now, yes, they got a brilliant win against Chelsea but Newcastle aren't in that discussion anymore same with same with Burnley for Newcastle to be above all that is is a triumph I mean it's you know it's not the triumph that you want you want the triumph to be top six fighting for cups fighting for for silverware but you know just because they spent money um which you know let's 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 hammer this point time and time again. For the two previous windows, they signed nobody that wasn't called Joe Willock, and there has been years upon years of underinvestment to rectify. So that's part of the story that they've done. The point is they spent it on exactly what they needed then. You also have to give the owners great credit for doing what they did, and how Eddie Howe should be in every single conversation about manager of the year. Now, if Liverpool, end, if Liverpool end up winning a quadruple, fair enough, but it's territory that no team has done before to, to go so deep into a season without winning a game to be safe. And they're beyond, you know, they are beyond safe. And yeah, again, that word Chris used, alignment. Every time you go into the stadium now, you feel it. Everybody yeah. from the Newcastle perspective wants the same thing. That is the story of the season. And it's a beautiful story. It absolutely is. And you can read George and Chris's article on the turnaround of fortunes at St James's Park, as well as George's article on Klopp's Liverpool and Charlotte Harper's report on NUFC women and more on The Athletic. You can subscribe for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and you get full access to all of our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Liverpool have shown us where we need to be, uh, but how do we get there? And it sounds like progress is being made as we look ahead to next season. Fabian Scher has signed a contract extension. Hugely positive news this, George. He's been integral to uh, Eddie Howe's defence over the last few months. He really has, yeah. And someone who'd been pretty much discarded under Steve Bruce. He's been really good, really good alongside Dan Byrne um, under, under Eddie Howe. And it's, yeah, it's great news. And I think it's a reminder that, you know, there is a revolution taking place at Newcastle, but it's going to be it's going to be a slow one. It's going to be one which means that the players already in the squad are going to have to step up and will stay. And, you know, we hope to see more of what's happened over the last few months where those players are improved by playing alongside good, you know, good players. So, yeah, very good. Very pleased that he's staying. He's a class act on his day. Uh, Eddie Howe's also talked about Sean Longstaff staying, about them wanting to stay. He's out of contract this summer. And the same to uh, about Paul Dummett, albeit he has not uh, not played very often. But yeah, so it's about the squad and team growing um, with help, with help from elsewhere. But yeah, very, very pleased about Cher. A friend of mine's uh, not a massive fan of Fabian Shea, to be honest, and he says the only reason he's been given a contract is because Newcastle have to maintain a certain level of handsomeness in their squad to be allowed to play Premier League football, which I think is, uh, that could be true, actually. He is pure eye candy, isn't he? He is, like, absolute eye candy. I like the shirt he wore as well for his, uh, I've never seen a footballer who's signed a new contract wear that shirt as well, buttoned to the top as well, buttoned to the very top. Was he wearing a shirt, Chris? I don't know. I haven't got a clue. He's just looking into his eyes, dreamily. (laughs) Could have been wearing anything. <laughs> uh, Michael Walker, Chris uh, and David Ornstein have just published a story on Monday. Liam Mason set to join Newcastle from Blackburn Rovers. Who is he and why should we be excited? Yeah, so since the takeover, but certainly since Eddie Howe has come in, Newcastle have been looking to basically bolster the backroom staff and, and other key personnel at the club and they are also they're looking at all sort of departments going forward they're looking to potentially if they need one they might get someone in like a sleep expert to help with the players they've had a new nutritionist who we mentioned in the in the in the long read that we spoke about earlier obviously Dan Ashworth at some point will come in as sporting director there's going to be a CEO soon, but Liam Mason uh, is a sports scientist. Uh, his official title was Head of Athletic Performance at Blackburn. He's been there since 2014, um, and he's, he's seen as being very highly regarded. I mean, Blackburn having a bit of a sort of exodus of, of staff at the moment, but uh, Newcastle of, of Pounds managed to, to bring him in, and, and basically how in Newcastle looking for every single sort of marginal gain they can have to... to 
under Mike Ashley, as we know, so many club departments were pared down. The first team was less of a, of so than, than, than in terms of other departments at the club, but really other other Premier League outfits, certainly the very best ones, have deep backroom staff levelling. And uh, to bring in Liam Mason, he's going he's gonna to aid that going forward. And, and uh, he's someone who, yeah, Eddie Howe wanted to bring on board and hopefully will help in what is a department that is, has been buffed out a bit. Wonderful stuff. If they are bringing a sleep expert in, Chris, I'd like to throw my hat into the ring for that particular job. Or into the bed, maybe. Um, I'm bloody brilliant at sleeping, and I've been doing it for years. Uh, I think I'm the right man for the job. I'm not sure if just telling the players <laughs> to have four pints before bed is exactly what you need. Just, 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 just go to the pub until you're absolutely arsehole, and then go just roll it home. <clears throat> Take loads of naps, lads. Everything will be fine. Uh, yeah, Chris, you've also been writing about the, the, the biggest requirement for next season, which I think we can all agree on is goals, isn't it? Uh, we need a striker, uh, and, and what are the thoughts at the minute at, uh, at St James's Park about uh, new, potential new strikers coming in? Well, all the indications are that the priority this summer is to is to look for a, an, another frontline centre forward. Callum Wilson's been a huge miss, and when he plays, he does make a difference to Newcastle in offensive sense. Six goals this season. He's still Newcastle United's top scorer, even though he hasn't played since December 27th. His last goal was actually the winner against Burnley in Newcastle's first win of the season. So they've managed to win 10 matches without the top scorer in the side. The rest of the, the players, you look through them, Sam Maxman's got five, Joel Linton four, Fraser two, Wood two, Murphy Bruno. one, Almiron one. Gale for, yeah, but in terms of forwards, but yeah, Bruno's come in and, and Bruno Gimmeresh and he's managed to get four goals, which is not what he's renowned for in terms of being a goal-scoring midfielder. But Wilson has played fewer minutes than any of the other forwards at the club and he's got six goals. So when he plays, he will score and that makes a difference in Newcastle offensively. But as we've said before, that this survival has been built on defence. Offensively, Newcastle need to improve so much and Wilson, unfortunately, just hasn't played enough over the course of the last few years. He's basically played 50% of the matches in Newcastle's last two seasons and that's just not enough. Chris Wood hasn't has come in and Eddie Howe referred to him as being outstanding, but in terms of goal output, he's only got two, one of which was a penalty. It's more of his all-round game. They need someone who is going to lead the line, is going to bring goals, is going to really uh, maturely affect the opposition far more often. So they're looking at that this summer. A lot of other clubs want forwards as well, though, including Arsenal, Manchester United, so many other clubs. And so Newcastle are going to have to play it cute. We know the majority of the budget will go towards that, but who the identity of the player will be, unsure. They've really liked Darwin Nunes for a long while at Benfica, but that, that he's, he's liked by so Lots many clubs. Lots of clubs. Lots of clubs like Darwin Nunes. That's almost certainly not going to happen. So who, who, who the identity of that striker will be, will be fascinating to find out. Yeah, I mean, I think really Newcastle have kind of got away with it this season. Let's be honest. I mean, it's been it's been a team effort, and that's you know that's that's the beautiful part of it. That's the brilliant part of it. Everyone's chipped in, and um, it's been a collective. But you know, you look if you look down the list of Premier League goal scorers, top goal scorers, Dennis at Watford's got ten, Rafina at Leeds has got ten, Puki at Norwich has got ten, so on and so forth. And um, it really could have come back to, to to bite them that this season. Chris Wood, yeah, has has, has done a job and um, you know, I'm very pleased that he he uh, he came to the club and they got got him, but um I don't think you can get away with that two seasons in a row. They need to find someone who can who can put the, the ball in the back of the net. 
Absolutely. I tell you who could put the ball in the back of the net, and I, I saw it on Twitter today, 10 years ago this week, that Papa Cissé scored the greatest brace in the history yeah. of the Premier League, George. Remember that? I do, yeah. That Chelsea. incredible banana shot that I'm sure Petr Cech still has nightmares about now. Yeah, fabulous. Elliot Anderson as well, George, has been picked out by the Athletic as a Premier League loan player to watch. Uh, it's most likely that he'll be loaned out again next year until Christmas at least. Then He's uh, impressing down in, uh, uh, in League 2, but he's, he needs a championship-level test, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so the idea was that a writer for every Premier League team picked out one of their own loan players to watch. And, I mean, if you're looking at Newcastle, uh, there aren't really a huge number to choose from, certainly in terms of people uh, to to watch next season beyond. But Elliot Anderson has, has done brilliantly at Bristol Rovers. He scored something like seven goals in 21 appearances down there. Joey Barton has sort of made references to Maradona when he's described the way that he plays. Um, the, yeah, the only disappointment I think, and this is something that Eddie Howe said himself, that uh, it would be it would have been preferable if he'd been slightly further up the pyramid. And yeah, he's talked about him probably playing in the championship next next season if he can't guarantee him time, which I think is probably unlikely. You know, we have to be realistic. Making that jump to the Premier League is is the biggest one. It's the toughest one. But yeah, a great season for him this season and hopefully doing it a bit above. I mean, if I'd been working that week, I obviously would have picked Jeff Hendrick, but George has gone for, for Elliot Anderson for <laughs> reasons past understand. But yeah. And that's why you weren't asked, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, next season is going to be exciting, but there's still a little bit of this season left, even more so for the Northeast other clubs. Congratulations to Mike Williamson, Adam Campbell, and everyone at Gateshead. Uh, they are champions of the National League North. Fantastic achievement there. Uh, and York, uh, maybe Middlesbrough could join Sunderland in their respective playoffs over the next few weeks. Best of luck to them. Uh, check out Michael Walker's excellent breakdown of the race for the championship playoff places, in which he describes T.S. Eliot as the wee man from Missouri and it says here must be read in a Northern Irish accent uh, and I'm not going to do that because it won't benefit me it won't benefit you the listener and it certainly won't benefit Michael so we're going to leave that right then unless anyone has any uh, terrible Fabian share puns to make before we wrap things up for this evening uh, that is it thanks a lot George and Chris thank you for your time it's been wonderful to catch up with you again cheers chaps thank you Taylor No, it's been a pleasure as always Thanks, Taylor. Yeah, just just more share jokes next week, please. Terrible share jokes. Absolutely. Uh, and don't forget uh, our special offer at the moment. You can get a subscription to The Athletic with your first six months at just £1 a month at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. That's it from us. Thanks a lot for listening out there. And we shall speak to you again very soon from everyone at Pod on the Time. Goodbye. Next season is going to be exciting uh, for sure, uh, but there's still a bit for of the what? Season Sorry, left. For, for what? Sorry, for what? Sh- for share. <laughs> it's going to be exciting for share because he signed a new contract. Or what do you mean? Fuck, fuck off! <laughs> You're reading the script. I'm reading the script. I'm reading what Ollie's written on the script. Next season is going to be exciting for share. For share. For share. For share. Yeah. For share. Turn back time and get fucking rid of you, story. I tell you. 
<laughs> Let's try that again. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.